You're listening to SpectraCast, the show where I get behind the scenes on diversity and inclusion. I'll be talking to a number of people who have taken steps towards greater inclusion of others, and also with those who have benefited from being included in the workplace. Whilst my bias might be towards recruiting and retaining neurodiverse people, I'll also explore practical approaches to be more inclusive overall. Hi, I'm your host Chris Turner, and I've made it my mission to help employers to embrace and reap the rewards of being more inclusive of neurodiversity. In doing so, I hope to do my little part in ensuring more neurodiverse people get the same opportunities and choices as everyone else when it comes to work and employment. So, if you're curious and want to learn from those who are doing it, and you favour action over inaction, then stick around. Welcome or welcome back guys to the SpectraCast podcast and uh, great to have you on for today. In this episode, I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with Matt Ormiston from ANZ Bank. Now, Matt was instrumental in helping to establish and to run the Autism at Work program at ANZ. And it was a, it was a fantastic conversation I had with Matt and really interesting to see the perspective that, uh, that they took in terms of kicking off and, and running their Autism hiring program and, and the value that they've been seeing out of that. So. Uh, without any further ado, let's uh, just get stuck into it and uh, join the conversation with Matt. But uh, thanks for making time. Really, really do appreciate it. Welcome. Um, well, I know you've just changed roles, but if we were to just, um, um, if you were to introduce yourself in terms of yeah, what you have been doing and, and in the context of, you know, I guess what the conversation we're, we're likely to have, yeah, what, what can you tell us about yourself, Matt? Yeah, so I've been uh, running the Spectrum program at ANZ, and the Spectrum program is a partnership with DXC Technology to train autistic participants in testing and cybersecurity over a three-year program. And what we've been doing is adopting and adapting the Dandelion program, which has very successfully worked in federal government, yeah. uh, into a, a corporate sense. And so we've been on that journey now for around about uh, six months and uh, and to date has been quite successful. Okay. And what was it that prompted you and ANZ at the time to, to get involved with this? Look, I think there's a, a few things in answering that. One of the key ones was that there were a group of us who were all parents or carers of autistic children. And, and yep. so there was a desire to do something in that space in the sense of when we looked at our own kids and, and their gifts and talents, we we're really asking ourselves the question of, you know, how were they going to be able to demonstrate those types of gifts and talents or articulate them more to the point in, uh, in the style of interviews that we do today and realising that actually we really needed to change things um, in that context. I guess also it's a matter of timing on a lot of these things as well. And we had the opportunity to partner with the Autism CRC and run the Apps for Autism Hackathon. Yeah. And at that time, that really opened a, a broadening perspective of autism into our organisation and started to really galvanise us around a plea that was made there by one of the autistic participants, which was, uh, which was to say that you've seen the gifts and talents of what we've been able to do over these last couple of days. Don't think of us as a disability, but think of us as a different ability. 
And at the same time, we were also looking at alternate pipelines in terms of how we tackle the, the challenge of talent in some of the really hot area uh, topics, if you like, like cybersecurity, for example. And so yeah. I think that uh, quite often these things are a matter of having the right solution and being in the right time. And, and I feel that those two things were, were what really brought that together for us today. Yeah, it sounds like a very similar story that I've heard from other places. And it's, it often seems to come down to actually that the, one of the, um, the key tipping points is, is around pipe, talent pipelines, uh, especially where there's a, a scarcity of um, available people with the right aptitude, I guess, to, to do some of the work that's required. Yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, most of us in the technology industry know that we're heading into an area where we, we simply won't have the talent to fill the roles that we need in the future. And I think what you're starting to see, uh, certainly in America, is organisations challenged into that. And obviously, one of the big influence for us with JP Morgan, and what was interesting in their story was that they were no longer in a war for talent, if you like, against the likes of Bank of America or, or Chase Manhattan or it was City, whatever, um, where they were really finding is these non-traditional players like Google and Apple and Nike yeah. and, and so forth, particularly around the areas of data analytics. Uh, and so I think that that's been a bit of a bellwether for what we uh, can expect in Australia and I guess what we're already seeing in, in some of the, uh, the talent areas. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen that crossing multiple industries as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, the data analytics is a, is a really interesting area. I think that's something that transcends industries and it's relevant for pretty much any business of any size. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, information's power. Organisations have enormous amounts of data, but what they're really trying to do with that now is turn that into actually in- usable information, into insight that allows them to provide a better service, create a competitive edge in terms of the way that they look after their customers. And so that data analytics area is, is certainly heating up. And, you know, even for us, it's obviously one of the key areas of our digital platform and I suspect that over time we will see uh, you know more uh, more autistic people in that space for sure yeah absolutely <clears throat> now in getting started I think there's a lot of things that uh, most organizations are going to face into in terms of the internal challenges around getting something um, especially where it's kind of at scale um, kicking off a, a, a hiring program targeting a particular cohort what were some of the internal sort of challenges that you encountered and, and what were the ways or how did you manage to get, get past those? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think one of the key ones for us, as I, I mentioned in sort of the opening statement, was really around timing. And it probably looks like everything came together quite quickly, but it was in fact around about a 10-month gestation period, if you like, of, of not just us learning and investigating what this would look like inside of the organisation, but also preparing the organisation and finding when the time would be right. Mm-hmm. Particularly, we were in a phase where we had uh, a new CEO who had come in and, and was setting what the new purpose was. And, and I think that when that purpose came out of shaping a world where people and communities thrive, that was one of the things that really gave us a green light to say, well, what we're doing really links in and demonstrates how we are living uh, that purpose. So that was a really important part. The second part was, well, how do we go about this? Well, do we do this ourselves? Do we partner with someone? How does that, uh, how does that really come together? Yeah. And then that was a journey for us of, of firstly admitting that we really didn't know enough about 
autism or how to support autistic people in a way that we felt we could make the program a success, both for the participants that were coming in, and we were acutely aware that many participants have gone through uh, different work experiences and many of those haven't been a great experience for them and, and in a lot of cases I think have left people scarred so we certainly didn't want to to do that and so there was an acknowledgement that we really were in a position of needing to partner and so there was the conversation around partnership and of course if you're going to do that you really need to have your uh, your senior executives on board first and so there was a laying of the foundation internally around the case for this uh, and getting our executive sponsors together and we have a wonderful team of executive sponsors who really are key to the reason that we've been able to have the success we have today. Uh, that's great <clears throat> and and was was the primary I guess the primary pull for that was that around that strategic alignment or was there something sort of more to that as well in terms of the positioning of why why should you do this? I think, I think two things. We really put this together saying we don't want this to be a charity play. We don't want to be in a situation where effectively we've set up a program with a set of executives who are quite compassionate towards this, but it doesn't actually play out as something in the business. Mm -hmm. um, my view, particularly of, of um, social projects like this, if you like, is that you have to ground them in a real business case where people can actually see the business benefit uh, and want to drive that beyond anything that you can advocate or even that your your sponsors can uh, can support you in. And so we took very much a position of saying there's probably about 20% of this which you can put to social corporate responsibility and charity, if, if you will. But really the other 80% is actually saying we want these people because of the gifts and talents that they bring, because of the benefits and opportunity that they bring to the organisation. And so it was an interesting sort of education around moving people to a view when you're talking about disability, and I would rather use the word different ability, but I'll, mm -hmm. I'll use that because it's a given term, uh, of really seeing it as actually people and not coming from a deficit point of view, but actually coming from a benefit point of view. And so that deficit view is often the charity piece, but the benefit view is really actually looking at the, the skills and talents. Uh, and so that was sort of really key for us in, in terms of, of bringing that together. And I, and I would say about that now is that we are getting line managers coming to us who we don't know and we haven't really had anything to do within the program that have either heard of the Spectrum program <coughs> or seen the work that the people are doing and they go, I want those people. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what they do or who they are, but I want them because I've seen the quality that they produce. And that, for me, is probably really the great win out of this because that's what brings longevity beyond a particular uh, executive sponsorship. Well, that's that's awesome, and that kind of leads to what the the, what the next sort of area that I think is always worth exploring is that you know we set out a, a an objective at the beginning, and it's and I know it's only six months; it's not necessarily a long time in, but it's you know after a period of time reflecting back on that, how's it going and. And as you're saying there, I think that organic spread and, and desire to, to get involved because of the real business value that's been generated is, is obvious and people are seeing that. But how is it playing out for, for the organisation overall though? Yeah, look, it's playing out very well. And, and I think part of that is is that we, we looked at this and said that this isn't just about putting a program in, but it's about changing a culture. And so we've done a lot in the area of educating our people. And I say educating and not just awareness. It's one of the things that one of the autistic participants has 
has really called me on is that we don't need more awareness, so to speak, we need education. And education really takes you to that next level of people looking how they adopt and adapt their behaviours, um, you know, in, in the office. And so I kind of think of it as, uh, you know, having warmed the waters, if you like, in terms of, uh, of people being not only aware of what autism is, but also starting to adapt their behaviours uh, to be able to bring in a, a, an environment, if you like, that not only celebrates the gifts and talents of autistic people, but also creates a place where they feel comfortable to thrive themselves. And so that's sort of been um, really quite key for us in doing that. Measurement is a really difficult thing to, to do in this area. And, and I know we were challenged with this in our business case. And as I talk to organisations around Australia about this, that, that challenge persists. So two things we sort of looked at. One was what's the expectation of our specialists or expertise uh, inside the organisation? And, uh, and where do we expect to see um, you know, the team themselves? And so on those two fronts, uh, the team is around about six months ahead of our expectation. Now, what I mean by that is that when we brought the cyber guys in, we were actually creating a new a cybersecurity um, triage uh, um, capability, if I can use that word. And, yep. and effectively, when we started putting those guys on the tools, we were giving them around about six to 12 months to be able to get themselves right across that, work through it and, and be functional in it. But what we found is that they were functional in it within two to three months. And in fact, our challenge was finding work to keep up to them, which we've now been able to do. And so the expectation at this point is that they're about six months ahead of, of where we thought they'd be. Um, probably no surprise, but when you think about uh, gelling and soft skills, and it's taken the team a little bit longer to do that, but we're just starting to see now at that six month point that, that those really powerful beliefs around, if I don't do a good job, uh, you know, I'll be out of work, or if I don't keep up with the pace of the team, I'll be out of work, or all of those types of things are starting to go away, and they're really starting to own their place in the organization. And as a result, they're starting to advocate, uh, you know, for the autistic community as well. So it's really good to, uh, to see that. Um, but certainly more work to do in terms of supporting them in that area. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, again, that's something I've heard a lot as well. And, it's, it's, I, and yeah, I'm not particularly surprised, but I think some people might, might be, um, I think, underestimate often the, the level of productivity and, and how quickly um, autistic people particularly can learn certain, certain areas where, you know, where it kind of really plays to their strengths and... Um, yeah, I think I think you're actually getting the right person, the perfect person in the perfect role, and and things just play really, really well. Yeah, I think that's a key point you make because if you think about anyone, you really want to put people in the right role for what their strengths are. But I but I think that when you think about autistic people, and particularly because of their sort of detailed focus and and sometimes obsession over a particular area or interest, if you can really get that person's strengths aligned with the work they're doing, then it's like you supercharge a talent beyond what you get in just in, in, in terms of what you get in neurotypical people. And so I think likewise, if you don't get a person in that right role, then the challenges are much greater as well. So one of the things that's been a big learning for us and certainly um, you know, what DXC have been working on quite a lot is how you really identify what those key strengths and interests are 
in a person and line those up because that's certainly not just in our program but in in all of the programs I've seen uh, government departments and and other uh, and businesses around the place is that's where you get that really sweet spot of amazing uh, productivity and, and uh, talent demonstration. Yeah, and I was having a conversation with someone very recently on on this front around um, how well, the, one of the fundamental differences between um, at least autistic people and non autistic people, and it's it's yeah, that autistic people are the same as everybody else by and large. Mm. What kind of really sets them apart is is um, how they can swing in greater extremes. So when something is great, it's for anybody else. For an autistic person, that that great level of greatness could be even higher. The same as if they're feeling down about something or is finding something hard, it can be exacerbated as well. Um, and it just is just saying, I think when you get someone who's doing work that really aligns with their interests and strengths, everyone does good work then. But equally, I think when you've got an autistic person in that situation, that level of productivity and throughput just sort of is, is a level up again. So. It's um, yeah. kind of... Yeah, I think it's a really good way of putting it. I mean, if I, if I think of my son with Minecraft, his ability to sit on that and he now built his own world and he has his own basically government and rules and people around the world join his world and all of that sort of stuff. You know, he's worked all of that out for himself. Uh, and that's because of that quite obsessive interest in, in Minecraft. But then the other day we went to the, uh, to the show he wanted to go on the roller coaster ride, and so I took him on that. And not long after we got on it, and it started uh, getting fairly fast and fairly steep, um, he found that incredibly difficult to deal with. And, and I was quite challenged to keep him together because there was no way we could get off the ride once we were on it. Um, yep. But it took a good half an hour or more after that to really be able to settle him down and work through the logic of uh, of that ride and, and so forth. So, yeah, I think just an example of, of what you're talking about in terms of the extremes that you do see in that way. Yeah, no, I can absolutely relate to that. The uh, Scooby-Doo roller coaster at Dreamworld was, uh, at Movie World was, <laughs> was not good for anybody, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we've seen similar things where on, on the flip side, um, just some kind of phenomenal stuff pops out. And go, how, does that, how does that happen? Uh, like, how do you work that stuff out? So it's, 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 it, it is interesting. I think the challenge is always going to be for anybody getting, getting people in the right environment, doing the right sort of things. But um, I think it's, it's super critical for autistic people. Because as you say, you know, when they have a bad experience, it, it really is a bad experience. Yeah, yeah, we certainly, you know, we, we did a, a piece with ABC Late Line uh, late last year, probably about a year ago now, and what was really interesting out of that is because it was a national broadcast, obviously there was a lot of people that watched that. Our call centres were inundated with people that were sharing their stories, and I uh, called a few of them back and, and talked to them, and, and that's the thing that really surprised me is just how heartbreaking some of those, uh, those stories are. And I think for us, what that's led us to to want to do when we do this within the DXC framework is we have an autism spectrum consultant who works with the team uh, every day. Because I think it's not a one-off assessment. It's actually seeing how people grow, seeing how their interests and strengths are aligned to the work and being able to make changes as, as necessary so you're actually keeping them in a place where they are happy and satisfied and also a place where their talents are, uh, are best being used. So on that, something that um, that I'm kind of really curious about is: Have you as yet found or 
come across any learnings that you feel uh, would be highly relevant to expand outside of that autism program? So for other general employees. Yeah, it's an interesting question because I've been working a lot in diversity, inclusion, accessibility as a, a general basis and looking at things like accessibility, inclusion plans and so forth. And what I would say is, is the experience and observation is that when you take a particular of the community, say the autistic community, and you do something specifically for them. So let's uh, use the example of needing to induct people into ANZ. Yep. We thought very carefully about what that was going to be like. We thought about doing social stories to get around the, the ANZ Centre. It's a fairly large, complex uh, building to, to get around. We thought about, well, we should get them out to our call centres, you know, a whole range of different things, branches and so forth. But also the pack that we put together was one that was very specific, very factual, uh, and we made sure that it was quite clear. Mm -hmm. And what we found out of that is many of us were saying, gee, I wish we had had this induction ourselves when we arrive. So we have a general feeling that if you lift something for a for an area of the community, you actually lift it for the whole community. And we say that to line managers as well. And, and I know that, uh, you know, DXC's research with DHS sort of found that many leaders, when the program started, thought that this would be an extra, it would be an addition of effort to them yep. and their team. But four years later in the surveys that they, they wrote, many of them were saying, well, actually that wasn't the case at all. And in fact, I'm a better leader uh, as a result of it. And so I think that it's one of those iron sharpens iron type situations that when you really focus in on an area of the community like that, you, you don't just help them, but you sharpen yourself. You, you become better and your team becomes better for the fact that you've got that greater diversity, inclusion, and accessibility happening uh, across the team. So I think people are also starting to see the advantages in relation to that side of it as well, that we create better leaders. Uh, we create better teams when we start to take a, a much more serious approach to our diversity, inclusion, accessibility from the point of view of actually immersing ourselves in it and looking to adapt our own behaviours and leadership styles to get the best out of people, uh, no matter where they come from. Yeah, I think this is going to be a theme that's going to constantly come up as well, which is, which I think is awesome. I think it's really good as well. Um, and it is this, uh, someone, um, I was talking to a guy from EY in the US and uh, he, he described it as, um, it really helped sharpen the pencil on their leadership style. And uh, they, he got, he and his peers got a lot of feedback from um, staff that they managed outside of their um, autism program. Um, complimenting I guess them on their on the the shift that they'd made in their leadership approach um, that everyone yeah. was seeing value I that. think again it's it, it's a part of that language it's moving it's removing the disability language which is sort of deficit which kind of puts leaders in a position of going oh well I've got all the all the skills I'm now sort of going to help you to do that as opposed to moving it to a benefit language and saying, well, not only am I going to get great skills and talent in my team that I don't have today, but I'm going to grow as a leader because of the opportunity for the diversity, inclusion and accessibility uh, aspects that, that that brings. And I think that that's something that leaders are starting to see. And I, my hope would be in the future that people will positively go out and want to bring greater diversity, inclusion and accessibility into their team because they'll recognise that is a great leadership skill that will help them not just there, but also, you know, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in terms of some of the 
I guess the internal anxieties that might have been existed at the beginning of the of the process around what what was going to be hard. You know, you touched on that before. It's an often a common thought, and I think most people will have that going into it. 